Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we believe that you inspired your servant Jude to record these words of Scripture, and we believe that these words not only had power in the day that Jude wrote them, but these words have power this day. And so, Father, send your Holy Spirit afresh upon your church that we may hear, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest this your holy word, that we would be changed more and more to be like Christ for the sake of the world. For we pray it confidently in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to be seated. What is the church to be devoted to? In Acts chapter 242, right after the account of the day of Pentecost, we're told what the early church devoted themselves to. They, the early church, the disciples of Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of the bread, and to the prayers. That word devoted is an important word. It's a strong word. It means to make a vow. It means to be steadfast. It means to be single-minded. To what? What were they devoted? What were they vowed to? What were they steadfast about? What did they give their full attention to? Those four things, those four activities, those four areas of full immersion and attention. The apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of the bread, and the prayers. And you got to note that there's a definite article in front of each of those words, the word the. This isn't just any old apostles' teaching or any old teaching. This is the apostles' teaching. This isn't any old fellowship or club or belonging. No, this is the fellowship. This isn't any old breaking of the bread. No, this is the breaking of the bread. And this is not just any old prayer, but it's the prayers. What's amazing is that over 2,000 years, this list of what the church is to be devoted to hasn't changed. Some have argued in pretty much every age of the church, oh, to hold to these four ancient commitments is not very progressive. And the church says in every age, yes, they are, because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The church is still to be about our Father's business. The church is still to be the church that Christ called into this dying world in this generation. And so we must be devoted. We are so tempted to get distracted. We get afraid. We get full of sin. We get tripped up. We get off message. We get off our game. It's kind of like when I was in high school, I played basketball. Don't laugh. I played basketball in my freshman year of high school. And we were pretty good. But there was one team in Victoria, British Columbia, where I grew up, that we just could not beat. Every time we played St. Michael's, they slaughtered us. They killed us. And we had no idea why. They would completely turn us on our heads. Our game plan went out the window, 
And just like any good team, they did exactly what they're supposed to. They got us off our game. And they got us playing their game. Now, of course, it was very comforting years later to find out that on St. Michael's, the year I played them, Steve Nash was their starter. So at least it makes a little bit of sense. But in every generation, this is exactly what happens to the church. We're tempted to get off our game, to play by the world's standards, to play the world's game. We must not change what we, the church, are devoted to for the sake of the world. Over these next few weeks, we're going to look at Acts 2.42, that list, those four commitments, as a commitment for what we are to be devoted to here at Christ Church. We start today with the apostles' teaching. And to do so, we're looking at the book of Jude. If you turn with me in your Bibles or on your phones to the book of Jude, it's one chapter, so there's no need to say Jude chapter one, verse, whatever. It's just verses of one chapter. And as we look at Jude, what we find is this. The apostles' teaching given by God to give life to the world, we are to guard. To this we are devoted. The apostles' teaching given by God to give life to the world, we are called to guard. To this we are to be devoted. See, first we find as we look at Jude that the apostles' teaching is given by God. The source is God. Look at verse three. The faith that was once delivered to the saints. Once delivered. That word delivered is the word describing something entrusted, something given, something transferred, something placed in our hands. We didn't invent it. We didn't even find it. It was delivered to us by God. God gave us this truth. God gave us this message. Put it this way, friends, God's plan of salvation, that human beings sinful and dead in our sins are to come to saving faith in Jesus of Nazareth, who in the words of Tim Keller, lived the life we should have lived and died the death we should have died, hanging on the cross, bearing our sins on our behalf taking our sin upon him, dying that death, rising to life on the third day, and therefore offering that eternal life and the Holy Spirit to all who come to him in faith. That message is not a message that human beings stumble on accidentally. It's a message that gets delivered to them, hand-delivered. God has set up his salvation in such a way that it will not be something that human beings just find out on their own. No, it'll be another human being bringing that delivered message of God, delivering it for you in your life in this day, in this generation. I remember in 1994, the same year that I was converted, that I became a Christian, I was volunteering at the VBS, our vacation Bible school that summer. And shockwaves went through the leadership that particular VBS, because in the first day in the morning when the pastor sat, sat down to tell the Bible story for the morning to the kids, one little girl about 10 years of age put up her hand halfway through the lesson and said, excuse me, who is this Jesus you're talking about? 
And it suddenly dawned on us in this highly Christianized nation that perhaps the world had changed. That in the words of Bishop Leslie Newbegin, who returned from India after 38 years of ministry in South India, when he came back to England, and when I say England, think of just the Western world. And this was the 1960s he came back. He said, ministry in England is much harder than anything I met in India. There's a cold contempt for the gospel, which is harder to face than opposition. England is a pagan society. The land which birthed the modern missionary movement has lost the gospel and has become the mission field. That's why it's called the apostles' teaching. Apostle means sent one, the one who's authorized, the one who is sent. This is the teaching of the authorized sent one, sent by God himself. This is what we believe about the message we bring to the world, that it's breathed out by God, that it's God's own delivered message to the world in our hands to deliver to a dying world. It's the reason why there's no other religion or worldview that has written so many commentaries, so many confessional statements, so many creeds about this, about this message. And and people on the outside looking in could say, oh, that's because you're so dogmatic. No, it's because we're devoted because we know from whom this message came. It has come from God himself, given to us, placed in our hands to give to a dying and lost world. It's the reason in the coronation service for the sovereign of England, during the coronation, publicly, the Archbishop of Scotland brings a Bible and places it places it in the sovereign's hands with these words, we present you this book, the most valuable thing this world affords. The apostle's teaching is given by God. And it's given by God to give life to the world. It comes to give life. Verse three, again, from Jude. Beloved, although I was eager to write to you about our common salvation, our common salvation, Jude wanted to write this letter all about the wonders of our common salvation, but instead has to end up answering some concerns and crises that have emerged because of these false teachers. But this word common salvation, this is what this message the apostles teaching does is it brings to us, you and me, a common salvation. It means salvation is common. It is for everyone. Every one of us, this message of salvation is for. I love the description. Jude gets to it at the end. He's just got to stick in a gospel declaration right at the end. I think it's one of the best descriptions of what God has done for us in Jesus In verse 24, when it says, now to him, Jesus, who's able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To him who's able to present you and I 
blameless before God. Sinners that we are, broken that we are, divided that we are, stupid that we are, we presented blameless because God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God. When the Father looks at you and me because of our baptism, by grace through faith, he sees the righteousness of Jesus, blameless. This message, the apostles' teaching, the sent, authorized teaching, is what alone will bring such life to a dead world. That's why Jesus says in John 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I come that they may have life, life to the full. And what's amazing about this story is that Jude knows it personally. Jude knows this salvation story personally. Look at verse one. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants. Oh, that's the wrong chapter. Turn back. That was revelation. We'll do that in a few weeks. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. And if we run too fast, we'll forget the fact that James, he's referring to is James of Jerusalem, the brother of Jesus. It's a roundabout way of saying that Jude, who's writing this, is a brother of Jesus. A brother who grew up in that household. Grew up with Jesus, a younger brother. Jesus, his older brother, who started doing these crazy things and saying these crazy things and doing these crazy things. And Jude, along with the rest of his family, didn't like it at first. That's the amazing part. In Matthew chapter 13, verse 55, we hear about Jesus in the middle of his ministry and his family shows up in Nazareth. Matthew 13, verse 55, the crowd says, is not this Jesus, the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And are not his sisters with us? And they took offense at him. And it doesn't just mean the crowd took offense. It means that his family took offense at him. There's another place in Mark's gospel where it says that Mary and the siblings of Jesus came to take hold of Jesus because they thought he was out of his mind. James and Judas, Jude here, they knew their brother, but they did not know him as the Lord yet. They rejected his salvation message in his life on earth. But after the resurrection, we're told that Jesus appeared to James and the others and they were transformed. They heard the message. Jude heard the message of this salvation, this apostle's teaching, and he himself was converted, transformed, given this salvation, new life. And that's why Jude is devoted to this apostle's teaching and why you and I are to be devoted to this apostle's teaching. Not because we're close-minded or old-fashioned or stubborn, but because this message alone gives life to the world. 
John chapter 6, verse 68, Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. See, the church that isn't devoted to the apostles' teaching simply isn't offering life to the world. The church that isn't devoted to the apostles' teaching isn't offering the life that has been placed in our hands to offer to the world. Put it this way. When I was 16, I almost drowned in a scuba diving accident. No, no joke. I was being stupid. I wasn't staying with my buddy. You're supposed to scuba dive with partners. I was 16 and being stupid and went and did my own thing. And while I was swimming, I, my regular came out of my mouth. The, the, the mouthpiece that goes to the tank popped out of my mouth. And I was swimming pretty hard and it just went up over my shoulder and got caught in my tank. And I was swinging my arm back like they taught me to and I couldn't get my regulator. And I thought, oh, this is fine, right? They taught me this. You've got this extra little tank attached to you. It's the spare air. So I just said, oh, great. So I slowly, with no real rush, just pulled out my spare air, put on my mouth, took a pull of what I thought would be air and nothing came out. I pulled on it again, nothing came out. It was... It seemed empty. At which point I started panicking, realizing I was about to drown. I'm 60 feet underwater, 60 meters underwater. Metric, Canada, 60 meters underwater. I'm reaching back to find my regulator. And just as I catch it on the pinky finger, my body takes over and I suck in a lung full of water. And I'll tell you, it burned like nothing I could ever imagined. I got the regulator in, got back to the surface, checked the spare air. The seal had been compromised. Unbeknownst to me through the entire dive, that little spare air had slowly just lost all its air. And so when I needed it, it was empty. As I was laying there on the ocean floor about to die, this spare air tank meant to give me life stood by simply ready to watch me die. And so it is with the church. That when a person comes into the church of Jesus Christ, dead, desperate for life, and the church has lost the gospel, we simply stand by and watch them die. That's why Bishop Fitz, Bishop Fitz Allison, one of our bishops says that heresy is cruel. It does not give life. It does not set us free. It just leaves us dead and in prison. It's missional malpractice when a church loses the gospel. It's a false kind of caring that doesn't really care at all. It's a church that's more afraid of offense than afraid of watching a soul obliterated by sin. That's why Romans 1 says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. The apostles' teaching given by God gives life to the world. And we are to guard it we're to guard it. Jude 3 again says, 
I write appealing to you to contend for the faith. The word contend means to fight for it. Fight for the faith. Because in every generation, false teachers do and will arise. Jude 4 goes on to say, for certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. Every generation false teachers arise within the church. Inside the church, a false teacher arrives, arises and what happens is it rots the church from the inside. There's a great British BBC series called Yes, Prime Minister from the 1980s. My father used to use this when he taught government and politics and, and public administration at the university. And it's this, it's this episode, it's this comedy about this sort of idiot prime minister and his aide, Sir Humphrey. And at one point in an episode called The Bishop's Gambit, the prime minister has to make a recommendation for an appointment of a new bishop in the Church of England. And the dialogue goes like this. The prime minister says, Sir Humphrey, what's a modernist in the Church of England? And Sir Humphrey says, ah, well, the word modernist is code for non-believer. And the prime minister says, you mean an atheist? And Sir Humphrey says, no, prime minister, an atheist clergyman couldn't continue to draw his stipend. So when they stop believing in God, they simply call themselves modernists. Jesus warned of false teachers. He says in Matthew 7, beware of false teachers, false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You'll recognize them by their fruits. See, heresy leads people away from the true gospel to a false gospel, which in the words of Galatians 1, 6, is no gospel at all. But here's the problem. Every kind of heresy that arises in the church, if we are not careful to guard against it, whether it's the heresy of liberalism today, or the prosperity gospel, or the gospel of antinomian, antinomian cheap grace, the gospel, the false gospel of legalism, any one of these false gospels that enters into the church acts like a vaccine. It's just enough of the truth to make you immune to the truth. It's just enough of the gospel to make you immune to the true gospel. It's just enough of the teaching of Jesus that when it comes into your life, you can say, ah, I already know that. And you could ignore the son of man saying, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God has come near to you. Repent and believe the good news. In each generation, God calls his church to guard, to guard the gospel, to guard the apostles' teaching. This apostles' teaching given by God to give life to the world. Names like Athanasius and Catherine of Siena and Martin Luther 
and Teresa of Avila and Thomas Cranmer and Charles Simeon and John Stott and J.I. Packer, guardians of the apostles' teaching. And to you and I today, they pass the baton. They pass us the baton. Now you, in the words of Paul to Timothy, by the Holy Spirit which dwells in you, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. For it is given by God to give life to the world. As I close, I will answer the question I'm sure that you're feeling as I am. Well, how? I mean, how, how can we effectively guard the good deposit? How can we guard the apostles' teaching today? This seems too big. It's, what, what a precious thing, an immensely precious thing to entrust us with. And here's the good news is that the God who entrusts us with the gospel is the one who will make us able to guard. Put it this way, the God who calls us to be devoted to the apostles' teaching also calls us to come to church. He's given us the church week after week where we will soak in the lessons and the readings of scripture, in the creeds of the church, confessing what we believe, in the liturgy, laying out the whole Eucharistic mystery of how Jesus has died on our behalf. And as we soak in that apostle's teaching spoken over us week after week, we become more and more able to see heresy when it arises. Put it this way. I had a friend who was a bank manager and I asked him a number of years ago, I said, how do you train your tellers to spot counterfeit bills? That must be a big issue. Big technology, all kinds of heavy training. And he said, oh no, it's easy. It's not a problem. He said, my bank tellers handle so much of the real thing every day that the minute a counterfeit bill comes in their hand, they spot it instantly. That's what God does with his people as we come to church. We handle the apostles' teaching and we are even better handled by the apostles' teaching so that we can see counterfeit gospels instantly when they emerge. What is the church to be devoted to? Acts 2.42 says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of the bread, and the prayers. And the first of these today, the apostles' teaching, given by God to give life to the world, we are to guard to this we shall be devoted. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.